0: No Junk Mail presents The Trading Post, Chapter 5. Day 3 continued. Enu paused for a long time, and then in broken English he said, Big walk, Vancouver. Silence fell over us like a blanket. Trading post, he continued, and signed the sign for same. I knew about the trading post. My family and Billy's went to Lake Merwin for a week of fishing once, and the trading post was on the south shore, about in the middle of the lake. Actually, there were two lakes, Lake Merwin and Yale Lake. Both of them were about ten miles long and maybe five miles across. Right in the middle, between the two lakes, there was a land bridge separating the two lakes and a river connecting the two. We fished the westmost lake, Merwin Lake. I remember that the water was cold and the fishing was great. Also, I remembered that on that trip, we saw a herd of elk swimming in the lake early in the morning before the fog had lifted off the water. We almost ran into one while trolling that morning. It came so close to the boat that I could see the steam come out of his nostrils. It was weird. It had been about two years since we had been fishing on Lake Merwin. The way I remembered the trading post was that it was a run-down shack of a store, some very small cabins, and a boat dock. And I'll never forget the logging road we used to get there. It was bad. We got stuck several times, and we had to help push the car out of the mud to get going again. There was a small village town on the north side of the eastmost lake, Yale Lake. The town's name was Cougar. Everybody round knew about Cougar. It was in the news from time to time because of cougar sightings. Cougars are more dangerous than bears. Black bears will only attack you if you get them cornered or mess with their cubs. Cougars will stalk and kill humans. They look at people as a meal. Looney asked where Cougar was. Inu said, Trading posts close. Taking his hunting knife out of its sheath, Inu drew a map on the dirt floor. He showed the Columbia River and Vancouver. Then he drew the two long lakes going north northeast. He marked an X on the south of Lake Merwin where the trading post was. AND A LINE WHICH HE CALLED SOMETHING WE DIDN'T UNDERSTAND. PHILIP INTERPRETED ROAD. THAT WAS THE LOGGING ROAD. IT WENT WEST-SOUTHWEST ALMOST ALL THE WAY TO THE COLUMBIA RIVER. THERE WAS A PAVED ROAD THAT WENT NORTH FROM VANCOUVER ALONG THE COLUMBIA RIVER. IT WENT ALL THE WAY NORTH TO SEATTLE. THE LOGGING ROAD INTERSECTED THE ROAD TO SEATTLE. Finally, Inu made a mark east of the center of the map. Here, he said. Cabin, Philip said. Philip asked Inu how far it was to Vancouver and how far it was to the trading post. Inu estimated that the cabin was about two days from the trading post and three days to Vancouver. Trading posts like that on Lake Merwin were remote and empty in the winter months. They opened up in the early spring for trappers to exchange furs for goods, as well as to clean up and to get ready for the fishing season. In those days, they didn't have telephones in places as remote as that. In fact, there were more bears roaming around than people, something we had not considered earlier. Like I said, when we took our trip to Lake Merwin, we took the logging road to get there. That was the only access to both lakes by car. So now we knew where we were, and we thought that there may be someone at the Trading Post who could take us to the State Highway, or even to Vancouver. We were discouraged to find that we were so far from home, but now we could start making a plan. We loved our plans. Sometimes we would plan all week long after school for the next weekend. Planning involved all of us and was more fun sometimes than the adventure. We were getting discouraged, but now we could make a plan to go home. We were too tired to take out today, no matter what our plan was going to be. The sun would be setting in a few hours and we were getting hungry. I could hear my stomach growl, so we just kind of wilted right there on the floor, tired, hungry, and homesick. Talking about Vancouver said home, 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 and everybody heard it. For me, the adventure was over. I wanted to wake up and discover I was at home in bed, but no such luck. As we relaxed to the floor, Darrell hit his wrist against something and let out a cry. Inu heard Darrell and straightened up. Philip began explaining in English, and they knew it but changed over to signs and Enu's language. Enu came to Darrell and motioned to his wrist. Darrell held it up. It was swollen and off to the side, but Darrell could move his fingers a little. Enu spoke to Philip and ended with, Fix hurt. Darrell looked around at us, to Enu, to Philip, and then to us again. What do I have to do, he said. Enu got up and went out the door without answering. When he came back, he had some sticks, cotton string, and some big leaves. Enu spoke to Philip, and Philip translated, Roll back sleeve. Darrell had already taken off his jacket. Slowly, Philip rolled up Darrell's shirt sleeve. Grab stick, Philip translated, demonstrating Enu grabbed the stick with one hand and wrapped his fingers around it. Then he held the stick in front of Darrell's bad hand. Daryl just looked at it. He didn't move. We could all hear his thoughts as if they were in our own heads. This is going to hurt. Do I really want to do this? Then Darrell reached out with the injured hand and ever so slowly began to take hold of the stick. As Darrell's hand and fingers grasped the stick, Inu's hand covered Darrell's. And in one quick jerk forward popped Daryl's hand into a straight line. Enu jerked before Darrell was ready. It must have hurt bad as Darrell uttered a cry of pain and fell to the floor unconscious. Still holding on to Darryl's hand, which was wrapped around the stick, Inu instructed Philip to use the other sticks to create a brace, to hold the wrist straight. Philip placed the sticks along the wrist then began to wrap them with string. Inu disappeared out the door again. After a while he returned with mud and green weeds that looked like fern. The mud was packed around the sticks and wrist. The ferns were wrapped over the mud, leaves on top, and then tied in place with more string. When the mud dried it would become a cast of sorts. We all sat and observed in silence. When Philip and Inu were finished, Enu said, Eat, and went out the door. We were right behind him, leaving Darrell on the floor. We figured he was okay, and would come out of it soon. We had experienced being knocked out before. We had fallen out of trees. We'd banged each other accidentally too hard in our war games. Been hit with thrown rocks and such. Yes, we knew from experience what it was like, and weren't too concerned about it. Around the cabin, on the other side, we found a smoldering cook fire. It had a lean-to built over it to protect the fire from the rain. It was still misting, and it was getting foggy in the woods, but that didn't bother us at all. Iron pots and skillets of various sizes were hung on the back of the cabin. Enu selected a medium iron pot and hung it on a tripod. He had Billy place some sticks over the smoldering embers and blow until there was a small flame. Then Enu said, "'Wood!' And off we were going to find firewood. He also sent Looney to a stream about a hundred feet away to get water in two water skins. We never considered carrying water with us. We could have gotten army surplus water bottles and hung them on our belts, but it was too much trouble.' There were so many clear streams around, we never bothered to pack water. Enu had made water skins of deer hide. He had two of them, and they slung over your shoulder. Each one carried about two gallons of water. We came alive looking for wood and anticipating something to eat. We used our energy running around competing for who could find the best firewood, the fastest. We gathered a lot more than we needed for the cook fire, and took some into the cabin for the fireplace. Whenever the wind blows, dead wood falls off trees. The trick is to find the right size dead wood, not soaked with rain, and small enough so you could break it into useful pieces. You didn't want to be stuck chopping wood. That was too much work. Inu had a saw for big pieces of wood and an axe and a hatchet hanging on the cabin wall next to traps and snares of all sizes. The cook fire came up and coals began to glow. Water was put in the pot over the fire. Inu put some salt in the water. Then he went to a tree about a 100 feet away and pulled down a deer carcass hanging from a limb. The carcass was skinned cleaned, and just hanging there high off the ground. Cleaned means that the innards have been scraped out and the cavity has been washed down, sometimes salted to keep it from spoiling. The trouble with hanging meat is that it attracts hungry animals like bears, cougars, bobcats, and wolves. That's why you hang the meat over a limb and haul it up with a rope, tying the rope to the trunk of the tree. Bears and cougars can climb trees, but if you hang the meat down a ways, they'd fall off the tree trying to get it. Eventually, they would give up and move on to find something else to eat. Enu brought the deer carcass down and we held it as he cut off the hind quarter. We strung up the remainder of the carcass, then took the hind quarter to the cabin. Enu had a table of sorts outside next to the cabin. The top was made of wooden logs about eight inches thick originally, but he had chopped the logs down to where the surface was pretty smooth. The top was sitting on poles, which were lashed together with bark strips. The deer meat was put on the table and chopped into pieces using a hatchet and a hunting knife. From there the pieces, bones and all went into the pot, which was now simmering. Inu went into the cabin and brought out a small sack. He had what looked like dried leaves in the sack. A small handful went into the pot along with some more salt, and then the lid went on the pot. Within an hour or so, a most delicious aroma began to boil out of the pot and filled the air. We sat in a circle around the fire and chatted. Inu just listened. We were waiting for Enu to pronounce the feast ready. Daryl came out of the cabin and sat down with us. When Enu said ready, pointing to the pot, we all cheered and danced around. Enu laughed at us. First out of the pot came the chunks of deer meat. One by one we stabbed at the chunks with our fighting knives. Sometimes you had to use two sticks to get a piece out of the pot, but it worked pretty good. The meat was just right and the juices were delicious. We all had our fill. When the meat was all gone, we sat around the fire and talked of home and the first-thing-I'm-gonna-do kind of stuff. Inu passed a cup around. He only had one cup. It was made of tin and had rust holes in part of one side. Inu dipped the cup in the pot, got some broth, then passed it around. You had to hold the cup right or broth would leak out the holes. We figured that out quick enough. The beef soup, as Billy called it, was pure nectar and a fantastic way to end the feast. As the evening approached, we sang songs and generally kidded each other until it got dark and we got worn out. We had already gathered wood for the night. The stone fireplace was warm and radiating heat inside the cabin. For the moment we were full and content. What a way to live, we thought, as we envied Inu and his life-trapping wild animals. The forest had been misty all day, and now there seemed to be a storm coming on. We could hear thunder in the distance and occasionally see a flash of lightning. We cleaned up around the cabin and hauled away every scrap of leftover to a pit about 500 feet away so as not to encourage hungry bears near the cabin. When we entered the cabin, we had light from the opening at the bottom of the fireplace. Shadows danced around the room as the flames flickered and spit. Once we were all inside, Inu shoved the door closed. The door opened into the cabin. There were two heavy metal brackets on both sides of the doorposts. When we shoved the door shut, we put two crossbars in the brackets to hold the door closed tight. I helped Inu put the bottom crossbar in place and looked directly at him as if to ask about it. But he didn't say a word. He, like Philip, was quiet and didn't speak much at least not like the rest of us, who talked all the time. We settled down in different places in the cabin. Ever see a dog get ready to lie down? That's what we looked like. Everybody kind of found a spot to suit himself. I finally sat with my back to the wall a few feet from the fireplace. Philip and Enu were over in the opposite corner talking. There was an old wood box in that corner. Enu's thirty thirty rifle was propped up there. There was a forty caliber long barrel revolver lying on the box with the small box of shells next to it. We brought the sword, backpack, spears, fighting knives, everything we had, into the cabin. We were talking softly in groups now. Philip, Enu, and Darrell were in a group. Alex, Billy, Looney, and I were in the other group. The fire was getting low and the cabin light was getting dimmer by the minute. The coming storm rumblings were getting louder. You could hear the wind in the trees and the roof creak with each gust. The storm was coming, but for tonight we were warm and dry in the cabin. When the storm hit, under-rolled, wind blew and the rain poured. Though we felt secure, we still flinched with each nearby crash of lightning and clap of thunder. We could see the flashes through the chimney hole at the top corner over the fireplace. Rain sometimes splattered into the chimney, too. Seems like the storm would go on forever. One by one, we laid down to a light sleep. The last thing I recalled was Philip and Enu over in the corner, deep in discussion, of what I had no idea. Soon enough, I faded into a light sleep, jerking away with each lightning strike and the drum roll of thunder. Hours passed. Alex punched me gently, then whispered, Hear that? I was lying near the door. Alex's head was close to mine. We listened. Something was out there sniffing around. Philip whispered loud enough for us to hear, wolf pack. There was scratching, scratching, scratching at the door. Alex and I moved back as quietly as we could. Billy was awake now. Darrell and the others appeared to be sleeping. Philip and Inu had been asleep with their backs to the wall. The scratching at the door began again and this time there was a snarling sound. Then it quit. The scratching started up again and was more active, but this time it was happening on the walls all around the cabin and at the door. Then, bam, a large animal lunged at the door. The door bounced back a bit, but it held. Next, it sounded like there was a fight. You could tell they were wolves now by their whines, snarls, and barks. The skirmish was over as quickly as it had started and you could hear one wolf run away, whimpering. The wolves were all around the cabin. The sounds were coming from every corner. We heard a pot fall off the back wall outside and a yelp as a wolf scampered off. Baying erupted a ways from the cabin. I figured the wolves had spotted the deer carcass in the tree and were sitting there baying at it. Another fight ensued at the back of the cabin. That's where we cut up the meat. Next there was a more concerted try at the door. This time it sounded like two wolves leaping at the door at the same time. Bam, bam! That got Enu to his feet. He gave Philip the pistol and cocked the thirty thirty, moving to our side of the cabin. We were all awake now, and Alex was standing in front of the door with the sword cocked back, ready to strike. We didn't really have room in the cabin to maneuver with spears, but we pointed him at the door. Daryl crouched in a corner near Philip. Every time the wolves lunged at the door, we jumped. The door held, though it bounced with each hit. After a while, our confidence grew that we were secure, and the wolves couldn't break in. We had built the fire up a bit, but if we built it too big, it might get hot in the cabin. We didn't need that. It was almost too warm already, and perhaps the flush of danger added to the warmth. Finally, the wolves got discouraged and left. The storm eventually calmed down to a steady rain. One by one, we slipped off to sleep. The story continues on Chapter 6.